I will start off this week's message with a, uh, with a question for you. And this is a, uh, um, I'm really hoping that somebody has received um, a fruitcake before as a gift. Am I the only one that has received fruitcakes as gifts? Huh? You guys have, right? Yep. On a, I am... Um, I've been thinking about fruitcakes for a while. Um, I don't like fruitcakes. I don't think that they are really actually a real uh, thing. I think that they are an excuse of a gift. I do. Um, 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 I believe Rod gave me a fruitcake last year, um, and so I think we still have it. Am I on the list this year? Yes, that's what I thought. And so, um, no, I don't mind it. I don't mind fruitcakes. I want to talk to you about this idea of Christmas, though, because Christmas is a season of expectation. And we look forward to Christmas with expectation. We look forward to putting up the Christmas tree, don't we? How many of you put up your trees yet? How many of you put up more than one? Yep, yep. I think I, I'm still at four. So um, uh, I'm going to try to put up another one maybe this afternoon, but who knows? Um, we look forward to drinking eggnog and hot chocolate. Uh, we look forward to going out and looking at Christmas lights, uh, to buying and giving presents. Uh, we look of forward, of course, to opening presents, don't we? This is the season of expectations. And sometimes, sometimes we get presents that we really, really want, don't we? And other times we get presents that we don't know what to do with them. Right? Like, thank you. I think this is a gift. I think this is something that you've given to me. I know that I should be appreciative of this, but I have to be honest, I'm just going to pray that I could find a gift receipt somewhere in the packaging so I could give it away, right? Or I'll re-gift it at a white elephant party. Maybe you guys don't do that. You're probably much holier than I am on that. And when we, when we get something that we've sort of wanted, that we've been looking forward to, it is, it is really awesome for a while, isn't it? But then what do we do? We move on, don't we? We got, the, we got what we've been looking forward to, and now we moved on. And when we get something that we don't know what to do with, if we're honest with ourselves, it really does sort of bother us, right? Because we say to ourselves, well, we put it to the side and we try to forget it, but, but we keep remembering it because we keep saying things like, don't they know me at all? Why, why would they give that to me? Why would they think that I would want something like that? This has got to be a joke, right? But you're, you don't want to ask them if it's a joke because what if they were serious about it? What if they really thought you wanted that porcelain cat, right? Um, like for me, a porcelain cat would not work well. That might work well for Willow. She loves cats. Keep that in mind, right? Um, but a porcelain cat for me, I'd be like, I have dogs. I have four dogs. I don't think that that's that. So... We've all received presents that we don't know what to do with. And, and sometimes we receive presents like a fruitcake. Sometimes we get a present that we say, is this a gift? Is it a joke? Do they even know me? Why do they ever think I want this? And because we don't know what to do with this fruitcake, what do we do with it? Well, we've got two options, right? We could throw it away, but then they might ask us if we enjoy the fruitcake. So we can't really throw it away, right? So what we do is we put it in the back of the fridge, right? And... Come middle of February, when it's the end of the month and you realize that you've eaten everything out of the fridge, you don't want to go grocery shopping, you see this beautiful package of foil in the back that is grandma's fruitcake, right? That you know is filled with 
weird things um, and at least a fifth of whiskey in that for sure, right? And you're saying to yourself, should I, should I try eating it? And you say, okay, I'm going to try it this time. And if I put enough butter on it, maybe it'll be fine. Does anybody put butter on fruitcakes? Anybody? Am I the only one on that one? Good, good. Yeah, it doesn't help, but I've tried. Maybe that may be why. And you try it, you pull it out, you take it, and you're like, ah. Oh. And you forget about that. If you were to go look in our fridge right now, I will confess, we have last year's fruitcake in there still. Uh, from Kristen's grandma. Um, I'm ashamed to tell you that, but Kristen is not here, so I can confess that publicly and edit this out later. Um, and it's still in the back. And every once in a while when I clean out the fridge, I see it, and I remember that was a gift given to me that I didn't know what to do with. I don't know if I should eat it. It's probably bad right now, right? Although the whiskey, I think, might make it keep a little bit, right? Um but what do I do with it? It just sat in the back there. I would assert that the first Christmas was perhaps a lot like that fruitcake that sits back there abandoned that people don't really know what to do with. Jesus, the Savior, the Messiah, was born basically unnoticed. John 3.16 tells us that, for this is how God loved the world, that he gave his one and only Son. And yes, this great gift was given, but it was put to the side by the world. Just another baby born. Just another child. The most pivotal event in the history of the world, and and the world skipped over it. Why? Why did that happen? See, when we, when we talk about Christmas, most of the time we, we read the story out of Luke. And, and we love Luke because Luke was a doctor and he was a detail guy. And, and Luke's gospel is historically accurate with tons of details. So we get to hear the entire backstory of Jesus' birth. We know all the things. And Luke's emphasis is on presenting Jesus as a son of man, fully understanding his humanity. And Luke is where we typically go at Christmas time because Luke has all the details that we love to hear about. But the reality is that all the Gospels talked about various aspects of Jesus. Matthew wrote primarily to the Jewish people, and and he presented Jesus as the Messiah to them, the one who fulfilled the prophecies that they all knew. And Matthew begins with a genealogy, which is really profound. If you look look at that to study it, and his goal was to prove that Jesus was the Messiah. Mark, Mark, on the other hand, he is full of urgency and action. Like Mark's favorite word is immediate, um, immediately. And so when you read Mark, you get, you get all the action stories of Jesus. You hear the urgency of Jesus. And Mark tells story after story about Jesus. And he focuses on the power and miracles of Jesus. But, but for this series, for this Advent series, we're going to talk about And we're going to be looking at the book of John because John does something that is really profound. John John focuses on how Jesus was both fully human and yet fully God. He sees the big picture. He sees Jesus through the eternal lenses, not the temporal lenses of this earth. And John goes beyond wise men and shepherds, inns and mangers and Mary and Joseph, and he tells a story of good news for all men. Because what happened that day in Bethlehem is the defining moment, the defining event for all humanity. Listen, listen very carefully to how John starts. John 1-1 starts this way. 
In the beginning, the Word already existed. Take a moment and just reflect on that. In the beginning, the Word already existed. Does that sound familiar to you? Have you heard that phrasing before? Because understand, we have. If you've been in the church for any period of time, you've heard that phrasing before. You've, it's found in Genesis 1.1. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And it's here at the very beginning of the book, very beginning of his letter, that John tells us who Jesus really is. John goes back before the birth of Christ. He goes back before the Old Testament, before Adam and Eve. He goes uh, even before creation. In a very simple and intentional way, John tells us that Jesus, the Word, before he became human, before he was born in a manger, Jesus was always there. Pause and just reflect on that for a moment. In the beginning, the Word already existed. In the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. Before anything, Jesus was already there. Pause and just think about that for a moment. Now then, John doesn't say, in the beginning was Jesus. He says, in the beginning was the Word. And, and as you're thinking about this, maybe you're wondering why he used the word, Word. The word in Greek is logos. Logos means that which gives meaning to all things. And when John called Jesus the Word, he did something extraordinary. He established a connection, a bridge, if you will, between the transcendent God, the God who always was, who always is, and who always will be, and the material universe that you and I live in, that which is temporary and constant and changing. And my friends, we live in a temporary universe, do we not? We know that one day you could be here healthy and fine, and the next day you could be in the hospital. We know that right now everything financially could be struggling and then tomorrow you could win the lottery and of course tithe on that. And, and you know, you know, you know that we live in a temporary universe, right? That nothing is lasting. Like what is constant today is that everything will change. And what John does is he, he builds a bridge from the God who does not change, who is always the same in our material universe. By calling Jesus the Word, John is telling us that Jesus is not simply a reflection of God. He's not simply just a, a, a partial example of who he is. He is God in the flesh. And Jesus is the only one who gives meaning to all things. Jesus is God. And Jesus is the one who has the ability to declare who God is and what God is like. And that is a pretty big deal. That is a pretty big deal. Because if we are candid, we all have opinions of what God is like. Don't we? We all have opinions of what God is supposed to be like of who God prefers over one or, or the other. And yet what John is telling us is that in the beginning was the Word. In the beginning, God created. And what John is telling us is that Jesus is the only one who has the ability to declare who God is and what God is like. And yet far too many of us 
are not impressed with that. It's true. We're not impressed with it. We skip over this idea of who Jesus is and we become enamored with a journey. You know the journey, right? On a donkey. I'm sure the donkey was not a, a well-fed donkey. I'm sure it was as skinny as a rail kind of donkey, right? Um, bony, not comfortable at all. Huh. I'm sure that we get enamored by how hard that journey was, the constant trotting. I think donkeys trot, don't they, on it? We get enamored by that journey of, of a young mother and, and a, a father that was not sure what's actually going on, but is committed to loving. We, we get enamored by this mother and father. We get enamored by things as simple as maybe a sheep staring at a baby. Right? I'm sure they had goats in there too. And if you've been watching YouTube, there's a new thing called goat yoga. Have you seen this where you try to stretch and the goats jump on top of you? So in my mind, I'm thinking, can you imagine they're at this crib there and the goats are jumping all over? That's, I digress on that. We get enamored by the things rather than who Jesus is. And, and it feels like the story's missing something, doesn't it? It feels like it's a little bit too normal. See, if I were God and I were to come to earth, I think that I could come to earth with a little bit more flash, a little bit more excitement. I think I would, right? I think there'd be, I think that, you know, the God of the universe could do anything, right? So I'm thinking like a set the sky a royal purple, come down with, you know, trumpets blazing um, and, and loud, you know, songs of praise to me. Maybe, maybe I would fill the sky with angels and then gently descend into a crowd of adoring people who just loved me. If I were God, that would be the way to come to earth, right? That's how I would show my, my power. But that's not what God did. And it's odd. It strikes us strange. Luke 2, 7 tells us this. She gave birth to her firstborn son. She wrapped him snugly into strips of cloth and laid him in a manger because there is no lodging available for them. And, and I think about that concept, that phrase of being laid in a manger, wrapped in strips of cloth. And I think to myself, where did she get the cloths? Why didn't she have like a, a blanket? Didn't her mom make her something? Isn't that what moms are supposed to do? Hey, we know a baby's coming, so we'll make you a quilt. Why was it the baby wrapped in that? And why was it wrapped in strips of cloth? And where did they get the strips of cloth from? And my mind thinks about that. I think, well, they're in a, in a barn. They probably had rags in that area, right? And I think about the fact that how absurd it is that the creator of the universe suffered the indignity and the frailty of being born and then being wrapped in some rags and placed in a feeding trough. And it just doesn't make much sense, does it? The Old Testament tells us that God, Messiah, Savior, was coming. And we know that this has been planned since the beginning of time. We know that in Genesis 3, after Adam and Eve sinned, God promised a Savior. And for thousands of years, the prophets have been speaking of the coming Messiah. But we also know that people sort of grew tired of waiting. They grew tired of, of waiting and hearing about this, and they stopped looking. And so when Jesus did come, he basically came unnoticed. 
And here's a question that you and I have to answer. We have to come to terms with this, and that is this. How did we go from John 1.1 in the beginning to Luke 2.7, born in a barn? How do we get there? What was the logic? What was the reason behind that? Uh, we hear the story of Jesus' birth every year, but sometimes the familiarity that we have with the story, sometimes when we are familiar with the story, we miss details. Like, like we get so wrapped up in the mundaneness of what we understand that we forget the significance of what actually happened there. I believe that Christmas is ever going to be more to us than just a holiday. Then we have to understand why God came this way. And I believe the only answer that we could come to terms with, the only thing that we can understand that if, if God really was the God in the beginning, if Jesus really was the Word in the beginning, then the only answer we could come to terms with is that God did this on purpose. That this was not an accident. That this was not chance. That this was on purpose. And absurd, as absurd as it may sound, God's plan all along was to come to earth as an innocent, frail, completely dependent baby. And if this is true, if, if God chose to come this way on purpose, then this tells us a couple of very important things that we need to consider when we think about Christmas. The first thing we have to consider is that Christmas was never about our comfort. It was about connection. And if we are honest with ourselves, that's difficult. Because don't we want to live trouble-free lives? Right? I would like to live a trouble-free life. I really would. I'd like to live a life where everything went smoothly every single day. Every minute of my day happened better than what I could expect it to be. Right? On it, and everything happened in ways that, you know, if I planned for something, it worked out exactly as I planned it to do. And, and if I planned for this certain things to happen, I'd be there. No one wants to borrow trouble. We don't go looking for trouble, do we? Right? Sometimes we go looking for trouble. Like when we decide to meddle in other people's problems, that's looking for, looking for trouble, right? But for most of us, we don't go looking for trouble, do we? We just want to have one day or one good day after another until all the good days add up and we have what we would consider a wonderful life. There you go. There's your Christmas reference. Isn't that what we want? One good day after another so that all the good days add up and we have a wonderful life. But that's not what Jesus came for. Jesus came to identify with our struggles. Jesus came to be fully human. And, and being fully human, that means he came with all the baggage that comes with that. Let me give you an example of some of that baggage that Jesus came with. Some of the baggage of being fully human that Jesus carried with him. Jesus was not born into a wealthy family. Right? At, at the very least, don't you think God would have had the foresight to say, hey, Look, you're going to come down, you're going to be innocent and frail, but listen, these people over here, they're going to be able to buy you the good diapers, right? As opposed to the cloth ones, right? So don't worry about this. Don't you think that he would have had the foresight to say that, but instead Jesus was born into a very, very poor family. Levitical law 
tells us that they needed a sacrificial lamb um, for the birth of their son. But Mary and Joseph were so poor, they couldn't even afford to buy a lamb. So they had to settle for two doves. Did you ever think about that? How poor they must have been? He was born into a poor family with lots of struggles in that sense. He became like you and I. John 1.14 tells us this, So the Word became human and made his home among us. He was full of unfailing love and faithfulness. And we have seen his glory, the glory of the Father's one and only Son. And the word flesh is significant to us because it speaks not only to a physical flesh, but to the sin nature of the flesh. In his great love and compassion for you and I, Jesus entered our broken world clothed in the same frailty that all of us are clothed in. Matthew Henry said it this way, He dwelt among us, worms of the earth. I take a little offense at that, but I can see where Matthew Henry is coming to this. He dwelt among us, worms of the earth that he had no need of, uh, us that he got nothing by, us that were corrupted and depraved and revolted from God. The Lord God came and dwelt even among the rebellious. He that dwelt among angels, these noble and excellent beings, came and dwelt among us. See, far too many of us don't know what to do with this gift of Jesus. And because we don't know what to do, we don't think that Jesus can really relate to our struggles. And when we are struggling financially, we're having family issues, or our relationships are strained, we ask ourselves, how could Jesus ever relate to this? And so we don't turn to him. And we look forward to the tensions that surround the holidays. We ask ourselves the question, how could Jesus ever relate to this? And when friends let us down and hurt us, we ask the question, well, how could Jesus ever relate to that? But that is the unexpected gift of Jesus. I'd expect to get to Christmas that Jesus can relate to us. Jesus knew exactly what it felt like to face injustice, to be taken advantage of. He knew what it was like to be innocent but found guilty. Hebrews 4, 15 through 16 tells us this. The high priest of of ours understands our weaknesses. For he faced all the same testings we do, yet he did not sin. So let us come boldly to the throne of our gracious God, and there we will receive his mercy, and we will find grace to help us when we need it most. See, Christ cared more about connecting with us than he cared about his comfort. Second thing we have to understand about Christmas is that it was never about his royalty. It was about his humility. Jesus did not come as a conquering king. He came as a crying baby. God wanted to show us humility from his birth to his death. And I think one of the most surprising parts of the Christmas story is that I would expect angels to announce the birth of Jesus to the kings, right? That that if in the story, okay, okay, God, I understand that you're going to come as a baby. I understand you're going to be born into poor family, poor family, and that makes sense. But but why did you why did you announce the birth to to shepherds, the lowest of the low? Why didn't you announce it to the kings, right? That would make more sense to let them know, hey, you are no longer the kings of this world. There's a new king. Why did he announce the birth to the shepherds in the field, the everyday people like you and I? I would expect Jesus would be born to a woman of high influence, um, not to a young girl. And yet Jesus set an example of humility for us to follow by his birth. He, He could have been born in Herod's temple, Instead, he was born in a barn. And he did this on purpose to teach us the attitude 
that we should have in life. Philippians 2, 5-8 through 8 tells us this. You must have the same attitude that Christ Jesus had. Though he was God, he did not think of equality with God as something to cling to. Instead, he gave up his divine privileges. He took the humble position of a slave who was born as a human being. When he appeared in human form, he humbled himself in obedience to God and died a criminal's death on the cross. Jesus didn't just tell us how to live. He came and showed us how. And I don't know about you, but I I need to hear that all the time. I need to hear that all the time. They didn't just tell me how to live. He came and showed me how. This time of year, sometimes we think, start to think about what we can get rather than what we can give. And, it, and, and kids start comparing present sizes, weight of presents, shakeability of presents, right? right? Like if it, if it shakes a lot, it's probably a good sign unless you're expecting something fragile, then it's not, right? Um, if it's heavy, chances are it's a good present, right? Um, if it's super lightweight, you know it's underwear. So, you know, that's the present you're going to open last, right? Adults start saying things like, well, don't get me anything. But if we're honest, we, we don't mean that. We really want something. We just, you know, we just don't want somebody fussing over us, Right? But Jesus came to teach us a different way of thinking. Matthew 20, 28 tells us this, For even the Son of Man came not to be served, but to serve others, and to give his life as a ransom for many. And why? Because Christ cared more about his humility than his royalty. And last thing, Christmas was never about leading us. It was about loving us. It was never about leading us. It was about loving us. See, when we look at the story of Jesus, we see a demonstration of God's great love for you and I. And we see that God gave up heaven, his divine privileges, for you and I. And God could have done this in any way, any way possible. He could have done this. But he came in human form with all of its problems and all of its frailties and all the weird things that go along with being human because he loved us. And he came this way to show you and I just how far he would go to show us his love. And so that is my challenge for you today as you leave here. When you leave and you go out and you see the various Christmas things that you see, you may see a nativity scene around, you may see lights, you may see hot chocolate, Uh, you can see all these things that remind you of the Christmas season. You see the stables uh, that people put up. You see, if you go to the living nativity, I think they'll have it again this year. You'll see the noises of the animal. You'll smell the aroma of the barn. And you'll see the Son of God lying in a feeding trough. Oh, it'll be cute. Don't worry. Right? It won't look. uh, it'll, It'll be cute. It'll look nice and presentable the way we've done this. But when you see all those things of Christmas, all those things that remind you of this time, let us not realize that God chose this on purpose to show his great love for you and I. Let me pray for you today. 
Heavenly Father, thank you so much for choosing to come to earth as a poor, innocent, frail, crying baby. The creator of the world came that way that you chose to come as fully human for, to demonstrate your great love for us. Let us never forget that. I ask, Lord, that you just give us the ability throughout this season to stay focused on you and focus on what you are trying to teach us in this time. In your name, amen.